Welcome to Think Peace, the podcast for founders, creators, coaches, and curious minds building the future of online business. I'm your host, Sarah M. Chapel. It's time to think deeper. And we're back. Sarah here. Welcome back to the Think Peace podcast. It's been about two months since I have been in your earbuds. I took an extended semi-sabbatical from my business and then went on a vacation, the first proper one I've had in many years, and uh, didn't do the podcast during that time. We uh, are back, back now, back on our regularly scheduled programming. We'll be here every other week and had the newsletter on the alternating weeks, which side note, if you're not subscribed to, is definitely the best way to actually know what's going on. Um, I definitely announced my time off over there in addition to, of course, writing essays and sharing very interesting things to read and other kind of wormholes and rabbit holes, all the holes. Um, over there, you can uh, get on the list at thinkpeace.fyi. There's a little pop-up there that'll get you on the newsletter. So you can know about these podcasts being released, know about new newsletters, and then the new programs that I have coming because I'm going to be launching some new ways for us to work together this fall, including a really fun, super actionable, tangible group program, and then a very emergent, weird, uh, exploratory group program. So we're going to go both directions this fall together. And the best way to know about that is to get on the mailing list. So today I want to talk to you a bit about boundaries. I wish I had kind of a sexier like title for it. Business boundaries is, you know, something I've talked about before and kind of sounds boring at this point to my brain, but it's so unbelievably important. And it's on my mind for two reasons. It's on my mind, um, first of all, because some of the big questions that I got about how I was able to take off or kind of take off four, five, six, actually seven weeks really uh, from work. Um, has to do with how I structure my business in the first place, which has to do with my boundaries. So when people ask me a question, like, how can you actually take so much time off without you know, irrevocably damaging your business? That comes from years of experience. I've, I think I'm in my eighth year of working for myself now, but also from these really firm boundaries. I talked about this more in depth over on the newsletter. If you go to sarahmchapel.com, uh, you'll be able to see that post and read it so you can read more about how I took this time off. But the boundary piece is really key because when the boundaries are clear up front, when you create flexibility and kind of firmness, frankly, in terms of your availability and the kind of things you're willing to do and not do from the beginning, it becomes much easier to be flexible and to do things like take a bunch of time off without really bothering anybody. Um, the other reason I'm thinking about this is because I just got back from vacation. I was in Paris for five days. I hadn't been in Paris in 11 years. And at that point I was only there for one night. Prior to that, I spent a lot of time there. You know, when I was in high school and in college, I ended up majoring in French. I studied in Paris a couple times, lived there. And for many years I was there often. So it had been a long time since I'd been in France and a long time since I'd spent significant time in Paris. The last time I was there was at the tail end of a press trip. And I gotta be honest, I kind of missed that part of having a glamour job, even if the glamour jobs weren't often as well paid. <laughs> People took me nice places. Um, I'm not above being bought. So if you would like to take me somewhere nice for a press trip, I don't know what it'd be for. I can be an influencer. I'll take cute pictures doing something. Uh, I'm available. I'm very available for that. <laughs> um, I, miss, I was like, I miss people 
doing that to me. I have to now take myself on trips, which is actually harder because I have to make the time and space and finances to do it. But in Paris, I was really delighted to be in an environment where business and service are so different. Um, before I go on, I want to make be very clear. I'm making broad generalizations. No country is perfect, certainly not France, which has some really, really serious uh, social issues in particular. Um, and of course, the French government is actively trying to erode the kind of socialist uh, underpinnings of the country. Um, but there is a different relationship to business and to work overall. But I, I think I'm, I think it's fair to make that uh, broad statement. And in specifically, when we look at things like service-based industries. You may not automatically think of something like an online business as a service industry, but it really is. Anything where people are interacting with other people has service elements to it. If you are doing sales, sales is 100% a service job. It is a service job. It is very similar in that sense to to working in a restaurant, for example. Um, Though sometimes in sales, at least online, we at least have a screen between us. Um, as somebody who's worked in restaurants and been, you know, molested in them, it's nice to have a screen between you, for sure. That makes a difference. Um, but that piece of people expecting things from you and having a personal and parasocial kind of relationship to those expectations is really true in online business. Um, this is true probably for a lot of companies in general. But when I was in Paris, the, the difference in that relationship was really shocking for me. Shocking is kind of a strong word. Actually, delightful would be the right one. I first started to kind of become aware of it when I was looking at some restaurant reviews. If you really want to see how just horrific <laughs> um, the relationship that general, broad generalization Americans have to service work is, you can look at Google reviews of restaurants in foreign countries uh, and also in the States. But what I, and I kept seeing these reviews that were essentially boiling down to Americans saying they were disappointed and, you know, angry about their meal, essentially because by the end of the meal, their server wasn't their best friend. Um, it was so fascinating to watch this stereotype kind of play out and the ways that it was justified by people who were leaving these reviews. You know, for example, that they didn't have a dedicated server in a particular meal, um, as if that's a given and often in very fine dining restaurants, you don't have a dedicated server. The entire serving staff is kind of coordinating to do different things at different times. And, um, this, anyway, this kind of really interesting way that, you know, like, oh, we weren't greeted warmly, right? You're like, what does that even mean? Greeted warmly. I think so much about the labor of service and the expectation that Americans have to be treated by everybody as if you, they're so grateful that you're there and that you're their best friend. Um, it's really insidious and it's very deep in our culture. Um, I think that there's a lot of great writing on this. I've, um, Sarah Jaffe's book, Work Won't Love You Back, has some really great kind of more in-depth research and reporting on this. So I recommend reading that and really kind of talking about the expectations of care work and how that spills over into like service and retail and restaurants. Um, so reading these reviews was hilarious. And one of the things that I noticed in France was how much more relaxed I felt because there wasn't this fake interplay of intimacy between me and people I was contracting with to get a service, right? Of course, I was nice to everybody and everyone was nice to me, but no one was pretending like we were going to get married or like we were going to hang out after this, right? There's no sense of, um, 
There's no sense of the false intimacy that is essentially required as a service provider in the United States. Um, I see this in my business now, but a lot of this comes from, I've worked in retail since I was 14. I worked in restaurants. I worked, uh, I've worked phone sales. Like I've, I've done a lot of these kinds of jobs. And, and of course I've also worked in corporate settings where very similar behavior is required, uh, in order to move up a corporate ladder. So to be in an environment where that actually wasn't how things worked, where people were nice and it was frankly kind of perfunctory. I'm here cause I want a coffee. It's your job to bring me the coffee. We're going to be nice to each other. I'm going to pay you for the coffee. And then that's it. I felt my nervous system relax. I did not need to perform in the same way as a customer, let alone, you know, what it's like to have to perform as a provider of a service. And it really had me thinking about some of the boundaries in my own business and how much I can see that they really stem from a desire to have that kind of clear relationship. I say this with a caveat that I have a lot of clients that are friends, a lot of clients that have become friends, that friendships do naturally develop when we work with each other over a period of time. And I really value that. I really value the multifaceted relationships that I have with people, especially people who I've hired to do stuff and then I've done stuff for them. Then we're friends and we hang out. All of that's great. But on a baseline, the idea that I have to be friends with everybody who works with me that I have to perform some kind of excessive joy about showing up to do my job. Um, I mean, it grosses me out. It's also exhausting. And I think that most of us actually don't want to do that, but we keep doing it because we don't feel safe not doing it. Quick other side note, right? A lot of us are not safe not doing that. Um, your mileage may vary there, but if you are a person of color, if you are a woman, if you were socialized female, if you are trans, like there are things that we cannot do always in the world that we want to do. It's not always safe to say no. It's not always safe definitely to, uh, to not play this particular game of friendship or intimacy. So but ideally, I would say in our own businesses, one of the hopeful reasons to have them is that we can renegotiate those contracts, right? Renegotiate this way of moving through the world. The other thing that happened in Paris that I absolutely loved was I was shopping at a vintage store near where I was staying. I had already been there once. I came back because I decided I wanted to get something and really a thrift store. And it was a little bit close to closing time. I got there at like 6.20 and they closed at seven. So I was there for maybe 20 minutes. I picked up a couple of things. And I started to look at something else. And the owner started to tell us we needed to leave. It was 10 minutes before closing time. And she was like, I'm sorry, guys, but I have to close. So you need to leave. You need to stop looking. And she kept saying it. And she was super insistent. And I was like, oh, I just want to look at this one thing. Because I did. I wasn't trying to argue with her. I was just like, I want to. It's like I'm considering buying something here. And she was like, sorry, I, I need to check you out. Can I get that? From, can Give me what you already have, right? And I was like, this is so fucking great. This is the best thing I have ever seen in my entire life. It was Saturday night. She was done. She wanted to make sure everyone was checked out and gone by the time it was closing time. And I was like, yeah, this is actually how it should be, right? This is how it should be. Every retail job I've ever worked, you have essentially had to wait for people to leave. It's rude. It's unprofessional to tell people that it's closing time. You would have to dance around it and find some way. Sometimes you'd be passive aggressive and start like dusting things, <laughs> right? I think when I worked in wine shops, there's always bottles to dust. You're like kind of dusting up bottles, 
sometimes people who are really aggressive, passive aggressive would like start counting out the cash drawer, right? Which always seemed a little dangerous to me, but you start to do, you, you have these behaviors. A restaurant is similar. Sometimes they'll start turning off the lights. They'll start resetting the tables for the next day or clearing the tables fully, right? Um, there's all these different things that you do to signal to people because you can't possibly tell them that it's closing time, right? You can't actually tell them they need to leave, unlike the song. So to have, and this woman was probably around my age, maybe a little bit younger, and to see her just be like, no, you guys need to go. It's like, this is the most brilliant thing I've ever seen. And I was so happy in that moment that not only was she like comfortable doing that, but she was insistent. I bought the one thing I had. That was all I got. And that was fine. She didn't need desperately that other sale. She didn't need to make me feel like I could do whatever I wanted in order to get my money. Not at all. She was done. And I mean, fuck yeah, it was Saturday night. I'm sure she had something better to do. So those experiences of having, especially these like service experiences of pleasant interactions And in that sense, I think reminding me a lot of what it's like to be in New York versus like the South, for example, where I have lots of very pleasant interactions that are really nice and I find very kind of valuable in that kind of like low touch way of just being connected to other people. Um, But where no one's pretending that there's anything more than that, right? Where we're in a society together here, that doesn't mean that we all have to pretend that we're best friends. The way that my nervous system felt, the way that I felt, how relaxed I was with the clarity of the relationship engagement helped to highlight for me where some of these boundaries that I've had very firmly in my business for years are coming from and what I want more of. So I'm going to share a little bit about how I start to approach boundaries today. I have a, uh, hmm, a five-step system for you. That sounds, that sounds real, um, that we're going to walk through just some things that you can think about. And if you're listening to this, and I think it's probably unlikely, but if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, wow, that, those people sound like they're offering really bad customer service and I would never work at a business like that, I really want you to read Work Won't Love You Back by Sarah Jaffe. I really want you to read about care work labor and to think about how it feels for you when people request or demand, that is a demand, your care labor, your emotional availability your presentation of friendliness in order for you to get your needs met, in order for you to get your financial needs met and how that feels for you. Because it probably doesn't feel good and you may be thinking it's okay, but it probably doesn't. So when we're looking at boundaries, right, in our business, there's a few things we wanna think about. First of all, we wanna think about our needs, all right? Needs are often pretty easy to define Um, it may take a few minutes for you to get clear on them. If you haven't done this kind of work already, it's always good to do a little bit of a refresh, but needs can be as simple as there. I've often think like, like, these are the real demands on your time or the limitations that you're super clear on. Right? So for example, if you have children, you probably have specific time requirement needs. They may need to be picked up from school, right? You may need to make them food. Uh, there are all these different things, right? You probably need to put them to bed at a certain time. Um, you need to take them to activities. You need to keep them alive, right? There's a lot of kind of needs associated with having children. If like me or someone with some chronic health issues, you may need certain time boundaries because if you do too much, you'll get sick right? Really common with people with a lot of um, health issues is that some kind of overexertion will trigger it, right? Uh, For me, stress is a really huge health issue trigger. I will often be acutely stressed 
during which time I actually don't get sick. There's some really interesting studies about how acute stress actually kind of improves your immune system short-term, but long-term we know that stress um, erodes it, that you become accustomed to the cortisol and it makes you quite sick. So I'll often have these big crashes after a stressful period when the stress goes back, like kind of the acute stress drops down, I get sick. It's extremely common for me. It happens all the time. And I really try to, like, that is a need for me to manage my health by avoiding high urgency and high stress situations. I do not do it, right? My boundaries are really clear in order to minimize urgency and stress as much as possible because it literally makes me sick. I will be sick within like two days of something like that happening. You may have needs in terms of like, I don't know, you got a dog or you have a job or you have whatever is existing client work, right? All of these things, needs. After needs, we look at desires. It's often easier to start with needs because needs we can often blame on like something external, right? Like, oh, well, my kid needs me to pick them up. It's much easier to say that than to admit that you actually just don't want to work at night, right? Like, actually, I don't want to be responding to emails at 10 a.m. or 10 p.m., right? I don't want this. I desire a different way of living. You may have desires about time off, about when you want to work and when you don't want to work, about the kinds of communications and how those things are communicated. Uh, for example, it has been years since I gave any clients my phone number. I really, really hated it when people would somehow get my phone number and call me. It's been a long time, but that used to happen sometimes because I used to call clients on my phone for sessions back in the day, um, like seven years ago, and people would start calling me on my phone and I was like, nope. <laughs> and that would be a desire, right? Is that a need? I don't know. Um, but what are the things you desire? Uh, are there certain activities that are really important for you to include in your life? Do you have movement and exercise routines? Um, that could be a need as well, but I think for a lot of people, they would fall under desire. Um, it can also just be whatever, right? You want to spend your mornings reading. Great, right? What do you want? That's step two, your needs and then your desires. If you're honest about these things, you probably have some boundaries coming to mind already, right? Because they're inherently, when we declare these things, they're inherently saying there's a boundary here. So if I, for example, do not want to do uh, five days a week of client communication or six or seven, I don't, I only do four, right? The need for that and the desire for that come from a couple of different places, but ultimately it comes down to, this is the way that it is best for me to help my clients. I am best at my job if I get a chunk of time without having people ask me things or kind of like have demands put on me. I have a little bit of a demand avoidance thing <laughs> and that gives me some space. For example, I'm recording this podcast on a Friday. I do right now. I'm working on Fridays a fair amount. I also remember didn't really do a lot of work for a while, but I often end up doing the creative work at the end of the week because unfortunately I've not been able to prioritize it yet, but Fridays I don't do any client work which means it's great for me to wrap up my week by whatever I thought about for the week, whatever came up, I can write about it, I can do the podcast. So I have a three-day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, no client conversations. Um, don't do email, don't do WhatsApp, which is how a lot of my private clients contact me. During the work week, I'm extremely available to my clients. I have in my contracts, very, we'll talk about this in a second, very clear boundaries about my response times and expectations are set literally in the legal contracts that we signed to work together. But I also am often very, very responsive, right? I want to be available to my clients, um, especially at you know the higher end. People pay me a lot of money to have a level of availability to me and that's really important to me. I'm able to maintain that availability because of the boundaries. What else are you coming up with, right? Common ones for people are starting the workday, ending the workday, 
time off to do things. Yes, I pick up children or go exercise or do something else. Again, I have my Friday flex days. Often on Fridays, I is also when I will go to a museum, for example. There's a new exhibit at the Met. I will probably go to that next week. I also sometimes travel on Fridays, so it's nice to keep the day free for me. I do stop my work at a certain time in the evening generally. I do not respond to people outside of those hours, okay? Those are my biggest boundaries have to do with communication. Now, for me, the reason that they have to do with communication is because that's where I have the biggest challenge. When I start to list out my needs and my desires and I start to look at what causes me stress, what makes me anxious, what makes me worried, what kind of activates my nervous system and dysregulates me, it is always about communication. This is a topic for my therapist. I won't bore you with it. You might have something different, right? You might be your relationship to your own work. I used to have a lot more issues around kind of getting super sucked into my computer and being kind of a workaholic in terms of like a task activity thing. That I have largely shifted over the years, and now I don't need as many clear boundaries around like work hours, for example. Um, I really need the client communication boundaries because I also am very afraid of disappointing people or uh, have like kind of like some rejection sensitivity. So I have a very, very, very hard time um, being afraid of letting people down or something like that. Um, so the boundaries help me because the expectation is extremely clear, which doesn't solve my anxiety, but it does give me a little bit of breathing room. Your own needs and desires may dictate something different. The key to all of this at the end of the day is to communicate it up front with your clients, with your customers. When I think, you know, I just mentioned earlier that this vacation I just took was one of the first real vacations I've taken. I think honestly, probably since I started my business. I had to do a smidge of work at the beginning and the end, but I had three solid days with no work at all. And I actually didn't think about work, which was such a gift, including client work. I was so busy running around and just having a good time and eating, oh God, food. Paris is like, the the food scene right now is so exciting. It really, I love New York so much, but we are in a really dire place when it comes to like small restaurants, small businesses, like everything that's so much of what's opening up is either a restaurant group or it's essentially a real estate developer. You know, it's the economics make it very hard for small businesses in the city right now. And being in Paris made me realize how much of that we've lost. Like just was such a stark contrast to how vibrant and exciting the food was in the city and just like everything. So I actually was fully absorbed, which was great. One of the last vacations, I was trying to think, I was like, when's the last time I took a vacation? I was like, well, in 2019, I went to Scotland with my family and I was gone for a pretty long time, maybe nine or 10 days. And I was like, well, that was a proper vacation. Except at that point I was selling physical products. And I remembered getting emails from customers with orders and I was responding to them saying that I couldn't ship their thing because I wasn't there and having these back and forths about the timeline to ship something and then like canceling an order because somebody complained that it wouldn't be there on time. And then they got mad at me for canceling the order and this whole thing. And at that time, I didn't do what I just said is necessary, is to communicate up front the boundaries. Now, if I go out of town, and I'll give some tips about this in a second, but if I'm not available, everyone knows I'm not available. I'm not pretending that I'm available when I'm not anymore. I think I used to feel like I needed people to think that I was always available in order for my work to be valuable or for people to buy from me. I recently bought a skirt from a small maker in California and everything is like made to order essentially. And it took like two or three weeks to ship. 
which makes sense. But I was like, oh my God, it's been so long since I bought something that it took that long for something to come. And I was like, this is great. It's so the boundaries are so clear. She says how long it's going to take to ship the thing. I knew why it took so long. And I was like, it was fine because she, she told me, right? Whereas if you order something, you didn't hear from somebody for three weeks in our culture, right? Of overnight shipping, you would be like, wait, what happened? Did they steal my money? So you had to communicate this up front. Ways that we can communicate these things up front include, first of all, in contracts, right? So if you have terms and conditions for a membership or like a group coaching program or for a software that you run, if you, you should have terms and conditions. I'm not a lawyer, but you should. Uh, if you work with people in coaching programs and you have a coaching contract, if you are a service provider and you have a service contract, your communication boundaries, your work hours, the number of revisions you'll do on something, I'm looking at my, my creatives out there, <laughs> the number of revisions, all of that should be in your contract. They should see that before you start working together. I will also often include that in a proposal. Um, I usually present it as actually a benefit that you, for example, from Monday through Thursday, get access to me via WhatsApp with an average 24 hour response time. In practice, I'm generally much quicker than 24 hours, but it says I think average 24 hours response time. It's there like as a benefit, because it is a benefit, right? I'm clearly stating that you can get this level of access to me. I am in your pocket. Um, this should be in your contract. If you're doing something like a sales page for a course, this can be in your FAQ, right? Including how people will get to contact with you. You don't need to go in super detail, but for example, if it's a large group program, people need to know, are they going to get one-on-one -on -one time with you? Is that guaranteed? Um, how do they get help inside the program? Okay. Also, if you're running a program, this should be part of onboarding. Remind them, <laughs> remind them when they onboard into your program, how they get access to you. If people are onboarding into a software or onboarding into some kind of experience with you, they are buying a product from you. Make sure they know how to get support. If you tell people up front, they will feel better. The open loop of, of the unknown is a lot of what causes anxiety for people when it comes with buying something, right? If people want to know what the rules are, they want to know how to engage with you properly. They want to know how to get their needs met in a way that also meets your needs. It's when you don't tell them that they have then no preset expectation that you've agreed to, they're gonna develop their own expectation. So for example, now I generally rep reply to clients within 24 hours, other emails, it might take me up to a week at this point, but if I'm gone or over the weekend, I have an autoresponder that lets people know that we're out of the office, right? It's extremely clear. We're not here. That alone changes the game so much because people know that we got the email and then they know when we'll be back. Um, if it's something urgent, oh, well. Reality is most of what we do is not urgent, that it's a different conversation. Um, so we wanna communicate those boundaries upfront, right? Essentially at the point of sale, at the point of engagement, these are agreements because you can state the boundary, your client or customer has the opportunity to say no, but that means they won't work with you, okay? If they say yes and then don't adhere to the boundary, that's a, that's a different issue we can talk about in a second. So we wanna communicate them upfront, and then we want to make sure we're communicating any changes promptly. The biggest mistake I see with this is people making it a really big deal. Like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, but like, I have to make this change. And you'll, every once in a while from like a small business, I'll get these like dramatic emails of like, um, everything is really hard and super expensive right now. I'm so sorry. I have to charge one more dollar for this thing. And also I can no longer do X, Y, Z. And I get the impulse to do that. It comes back to this kind of people pleasing and this kind of, 
um, undervaluing of care work that I talked about at the beginning in this weird kind of parasocial, like, oh, we all have to be best friends in order to work with each other and respect each other thing. Um, Communicate changes promptly, but do not make a big deal out of them. Your customers and your clients take their cues from you. Um, I think it's worth noting because I've run into this myself that you may think you're communicating it in a way where it's not a big deal, but other people still think it's a big deal. I, when I was announcing um, publicly about closing HBA, um, I kept getting so many weird messages and my husband like, read the email I sent and he was like, Sarah, you made it sound like, you know, like there, like you de- like there's a death or something. Like you made it sound really, really dramatic instead of like just an, like an evolution, like a next phase thing. He would never called it that, but that was essentially his messaging. Um, I recommend having someone else read those things. <laughs> I've learned that what I think is chill is not. I'm a little bit intense and that sometimes my writing comes across a little bit intense or like my announcements come across a little bit intense. I have a tendency towards the drama. So do not trust yourself necessarily that your change announcement isn't, is, is clear and succinct and appropriate and not making a big deal out of something. You may need somebody else to read it. <laughs> um, that I've definitely learned the hard way that I think I'm being really chill. Um, and I'm not part of that is for me is I tend to fall back. I think on sometimes kind of formal language, um, And it's kind of like overt politeness, which I think also cues people that like something's a bigger deal than it is. But communicate changes promptly, right? This can mean any number of things. If you have somebody in an active client, an active contract and you need to make a change and you're working with somebody one-on-one or in a really intimate setting, that is a bigger deal than making a change inside a big group program, for example. Um, I think the key is usually to try to, to tie that change into a benefit for them. So for example, I've had clients over the years running big membership sites who needed to make a change to the number of calls they were doing. Um, I had one client who went from doing a workshop every month to actually making core content. And they were nervous about that because it made it feel like they were taking something away from people because they weren't getting this live time with them. But the reality was that this actually meant that they would have easier access to the things they needed faster because the core content would live there. They could go back on it again and again, and they didn't need to wait for the workshop in order to, to learn the thing. And we were able to kind of phrase it in a way that made it feel less like they were losing access to this person and more highlighting the benefits for the customer. So that's another thing to be mindful of. Now, sometimes you can do that, right? Sometimes you're just straight up like, I'm not doing this thing anymore, whatever. Um, But I do think that the clear communication about any boundary changes in terms of availability or what a program includes or whatever, it needs to happen really upfront and as explicitly as possible. So if we're doing these things, right, we're looking at what we need and what we desire in terms of how we want to spend our time and how we want to do our work. We're communicating that up front as best as possible. Uh, We are communicating changes promptly and not pulling a Sarah and writing something that you think is chill and then finding out later that it was really dramatic. Uh, We're going to get someone to take a look at that. I think we need to talk about how are you going to deal with clients who don't respect this? So one of the biggest reasons that people have a hard time enacting these kinds of changes, and I did, it was so, guys, when I went from not respond, from responding to emails on weekends to not responding to emails on the weekends, I cannot tell you how anxious it made me. I was so afraid that business was going to plummet. It's like, if I don't respond to emails on the weekend, we're going to lose all these sales. At the time I was running a lot of Facebook ads. That was when that was still effective. So we had a lot of cold leads coming into, um, watch a free webinar we did, getting pitched for our program. Um, this kind of thing. And even though the pitch and the, um, the sales process didn't have a time limit, people would still, you know, be asking questions and get in kind of like want quick responses. Um, so when I stopped doing weekend emails, I was so afraid 
that we were going to lose clients. And here's the deal. We probably did, right? We probably did lose clients, but we probably lost the clients who need me to be available whenever they want me to be available, right? We lost what I would call bad customers. Not all customers are good customers for you. doesn't mean they're bad people. Um, but for you specifically, there are going to be customers who are not a good fit. And those are going to be customers who do not respect your boundaries. They may be a good fit for someone else. Someone else has the work style they need. I've had that happen over the years where people have worked with me a bit and then gone to work with someone else with a very different work style. Like that's fantastic, right? And it's probably the vice versa has been true, I'm sure. But we need to be really honest. The, the fear of missing out on certain customers because we have a boundary, we have to ask, do we actually want the customers who don't respect that boundary? The answer is obviously a no. And it's hard to say that because we're afraid that we're gonna lose money. We're afraid if you're anything like me, God, my anxiety is just, is really out on this one. But, um, you know, I'm always afraid that people are going to like hate me. Like I have this deep fear of like people hating me. Right. Um, which is weird because I don't know any of you, <laughs> like, and how would I know if you hated me? Um, but I'm, I have a lot of like kind of in, insecure attachment trauma. Um, so I have a, I have a really hard time with the idea that I'm not making everybody happy and I'm not managing everybody. So it's really important for me to have these boundaries so that I'm not engaging in those behaviors because those behaviors are uh, ineffective and unhealthy and uh, really disrespectful to other people too. <laughs> but we have to be honest, we really don't want those customers because those are the customers that come into the programs and come into our work and are not a good fit and they're not happy and we're not happy, right? This is when we see spikes in refunds. This is when we see spikes in customer um, service requests, right? That's usually a good sign that you actually have the wrong people coming in. If you're getting lots and lots and lots of questions um, and lots of requests and lots of complaints, you have the wrong customers, right? Sometimes of course there's something wrong with the product and it's super important to look at that, but we're not talking about product design right now. You probably have something wrong with your fucking customers. You have the wrong customer. They aren't the right ones for you. So we don't actually want these people. The boundaries do a great job of filtering them out, right? If you're upfront about them, then people will not come, right? If you are upfront about them, then they will not join, ideally. I talked a little bit more about this and the kind of emotional experience of this um, on a podcast recently, uh, Mind Witchery with Natalie Miller. Um, you guys can go check that out. Uh, Natalie is a fantastic coach who has been about the who's been around the block and just <laughs> knows shit. I cannot recommend uh, checking out her podcast enough. Um, I'm just seeing what it's called: conjuring self-centered business. And you know, we talk a lot about this kind of care work and the service relationship there. Honestly, I was a little nervous that I was too honest over there about how I feel when people ask me things that I think are bullshit. So uh, you can go check that one out and uh, decide if you still like me or not. Don't tell me, just just go on your merry way. So check that out from, that was from the beginning of August. But we need to be honest about whether or not having those customers is worth it. And there may be a time in your business where they're, where it is, right? We've all made compromises in order to pay our bills, probably. I know I have. Like I've definitely taken on projects and taken on things that I knew would not be an ideal fit for me. And it's really easy for like a coach in particular or some kind of like internet influencer business blah to be like, only work with dream clients. And it's like, yeah, that's great until you have bills to pay, right? That's great until like, you know, I don't know, like my dog needs a surgery next week. She does. She should be okay. Um, but it's like, that's like a huge chunk of money. Like you're like, yes, it's all, it's very good to be all high and mighty about uh, your your boundaries and your values uh, until, you know, like you you need money, right? 
So I'm never going to be the one person who judges someone for doing something they need to do. I, I don't, and I try to give myself that same grace. As I said, I have often taken on projects that I've been like, this is going to be a shit show for me personally. Not because the people are bad or anything, just like because of who I am. Um, but sometimes you got to get paid, right? Sometimes you you take clients that you know aren't a great fit, but you're hoping maybe it'll be different than you think it is. It rarely is. <laughs> um, we cross our own boundaries all the time. But if you are actually enforcing your boundaries and you're clear about them and your clients are continuing to try to cross them, you have two options. The first is just to essentially keep affirming the boundary and probably conclude work with them at the end of, the, of whatever you have. This is usually my, my take. I'm not a super confrontational person and... Often, I think I lean towards the side of believing, I think, that it's my responsibility to enforce the boundary, not the client's responsibility to remember it, even though sometimes I find it very frustrating and disrespectful. Um, I think there's this kind of idea that it's, you know, that just asking questions or just asking the question or it's worth asking the question, like this very kind of lean in kind of thing of uh, like... Yeah, that it's that it's worth asking. And I just I don't know that it's okay to always ask, right? We have to remember that when we do ask things of people, we are communicating something to them about how we think about them, um, about the respect we have for them, about the value that we assign to them and to the relationship we have with them. I don't think that it I you know, that saying, yeah, it doesn't hurt to ask. I actually disagree. I think it can hurt to ask. I think that it erodes trust. That said, in a business relationship, if I am the service provider, if I am the coach, the educator, the, the whatever, the, the person who has been engaged with, and that's true even if it's a huge group program, that's true even if somebody's buying a fucking ebook from me, um, I do feel like it's my job to enforce the boundary. It's not the client's job to remember it. So there's the slow wind down, right, where you just keep holding the boundary, which I find absolutely fucking exhausting, but will do. Or you can tell them, you can be like, hey, like what you're doing is shitty, right? You get to decide. Um, but I do think that you will know when those boundaries are being crossed. And one of the things that's really exciting is actually that sometimes we can look at these needs and our desires and actually not get to the right boundaries, right? We aren't really honestly good, obviously, at uh, saying what our needs and desires are. It can be really hard for us to acknowledge them. It can be hard for us to see them. It can be a real place of... Um, yeah, of, of shadow. <laughs> um, it's dim over there, our true desires, <laughs> even if you've done a lot of work to try to uncover them. So sometimes one of the best ways to know that you have a need or desire that is not being met is by that feeling like somebody is taking advantage of you in a business situation, like somebody is asking something of you that doesn't seem fair. Um, I tend to do a little self-gaslighting and tell myself that I'm just making it up and that I'm crazy and that I'm overreacting. Um, usually that's not actually the case at this point. Uh, I just don't trust myself and my experience of things for a variety of reasons, but that it can be a really strong indicator. And if I'm saying this, you're thinking of something. I like to just know that like all of you are out there thinking of like a specific client or a specific experience you've had where you felt like you were not respected. You felt wrong. You would see somebody's name in your inbox or in your DMs and you would just clench up a little bit. Again, it's probably not about that specific person, right? Most people are not malicious. Everyone, you know, people I think in general are, are doing the best they can but they have a behavior. They're doing something that is pointing out a boundary of yours that is being crossed. 
So we can sneak up on boundaries in the same way by noticing essentially what challenges us, what makes us uncomfortable, what activates the nervous system, what derails us. For me, that's always a big clue. If something happens and then I lose the rest of the day, like I cannot bring my mind back to my work or to whatever I need to do. Um, that kind of like dysregulation and often disassociation becomes a really strong indicator for me that there is some kind of boundary that I ha have lost sight of or I'm not aware of. There's some, something is being crossed. And so we can look at that and start to bring it up forward there too. Okay, that's a lot. <laughs> I have a couple practical tips that I thought I would mention, just some little things that I do to make this easier. One, as I said, I try to include all of the really critical boundaries in my contracts, right? I want, and I put them in the proposals if I'm doing custom proposals. This is so important. I do not want people surprised when they work with me by what my boundaries are. My work hours, my response times. If it is a consulting client, especially, I'm super clear on response times, you know, for like reviewing um, sales assets, for example, and things like that. Um, all of that should be clearly stated before you work with somebody. And something like a group program um, or something like that, you know, it can look a little bit different, but I think it should still be in your terms and conditions and it should probably be on your sales page, right? Often the FAQ is a good place to put these really detailed things. If you are, for example, going out of town or you are no longer responding to emails after five, right? Use an email autoresponder. This is like the best like hack. <laughs> um, Google doesn't make it super easy within Gmail. I use a software called Missive, um, which is a team inbox management software. It's great because you can give people access to multiple inboxes without them actually having to have access to the email um, like uh, accounts themselves. And it's really good for collaboration with multiple people working on inboxes. I've liked it a lot, I've used it for years. Um, but it makes it very easy to send kind of detailed autoresponders based off of certain behaviors. There's a lot of this kind of if-then statement that you can do to automate these responses. So we have one that runs on Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Actually starts Thursday night at five because that's when my workday ends. So it goes that until Sunday evening. So that if anyone emails us during that time, they get a response that says, hey, we uh, don't work on the weekends. We'll be back on Monday. Um, if I'm out of town, I do the same thing. And if there is any kind of anything kind of weird happening, sometimes I've done big launches that have run over weekends where we weren't going to be checking email. I would put up an autoresponder specifically for the launch, right? With some information about it. But like, hey, you might be seeing this because you've asked a question about our product. Don't worry, we'll be back on Monday to answer it. Okay. So that kind of thing, just to make sure that we're getting out ahead of the questions. It's also a great place to put any FAQ if necessary. So for example, if you have a membership and people might want to cancel, show like you can include a link to where they can manage their account, things like that. That was always a big one for me, the fear that somebody would want to cancel the membership and they wouldn't do it through their account for whatever reason, because people would always just email us. I'm not sure why. And then we wouldn't see it, which would mean we'd have to come back on Monday and then do a refund, which we would do if somebody had requested it before it renewed. Um, but of course, refunds cost you money. Um, you don't get your credit card processing fees back. I, you lose money on a refund. So it's not ideal from, from a business situation to have to do that. I also just, it's just annoying. So you can include information like that. There's also a great thing you can put in like pinned post on social media, for example, right? Especially if you're going to be out of office or something. But if you have specific boundaries around social media communication, like I really support, support in the DMs is just one of those things that's so hard to keep track of. I find it really stressful. So like, you know, I would often have something about like how to communicate with me via social media. In some of my programs, we actually had a boundary that you could not contact anyone on my team via direct message in any 
software, um, which was really important because clients would go and send direct messages to my staff, like both like during like live calls on zoom, which was like super inappropriate, but then also like go and find them on social media and send them messages. And I was like, that's not okay. Right. That's not like, that is not their job. Um, and then I think finally, you know, making sure that you can automate what you can, which can also help to give you some of that breathing room, uh, especially for things like time off customer onboarding should include all of these boundaries and having it automated honestly also helps with a little bit of the parasocial relationship. If people are just moving through an automated process, I think I've said enough. That's it. Um, I hope this is helpful for you. And again, this is really through this lens of when these boundaries are in place, it makes it easier to create more flexibility. You don't, you aren't surprising people when you take time off, for example, if you regularly have clear boundaries about when you work. If you're always available 24 seven and then you wanna take a week off, that it's going to be really hard for your customers to adjust to. I'm not saying you can't do it, but it's harder. If they already know that you work during certain hours and that you have strong boundaries around your work, it's gonna be easier for them to be okay if you take time off. It also makes it easier for you to flex if you take time off. That's it for now, my friends. I hope that this has been helpful in some way. I'm pretty sure I talked extremely fast through this, but I don't know, slow it down if you need to or speed it up Um, and pass this along to a friend who maybe needs some business boundaries and maybe would be helpful to hear somebody who's been pretty successful in business talking about the fact that they still hate when people email them. Um, That might, might make you feel better about yourself. I will see you all in a couple weeks. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Think Peace. You can read the newsletter, join the community, and learn how to work with me at thinkpeace.fyi. I'll see you next time.